RadioInfluence.com. This week's episode of Crush Performance is brought to you by the BRICS Glycemic Impact Research and Science Institute. For more information, go to BRICS-certified.com. That's BRICS, B-R-I-X-certified.com. So let's get set because episode number three of our Science of Sweetness series starts right now. Why crush it? It's good to see you. You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 10-1260 with your questions, comments, or smart-ass remarks. Welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Crushell. I hope you had a fantastic week. We have a really big show today as the crushed war on sugar rages on. Episode number three of the Science of Sweetness with Dr. Andouise Ellen. Today we are going to get into some fascinating information regarding how the food you eat impacts your metabolism, your body, your brain, and ultimately your performance. We'll look at the staggering data on obesity and diabetes and degenerative brain disease. We'll also look at why diets don't work. We're going about this whole business the wrong way. We're blaming ourselves for the trends we're seeing, and it's not our fault. We're going to talk about evolution and how our environment and possibly the food we eat is more to blame than ourselves. So instead of blaming ourselves, let's figure out how to fix the system. And that's what today is going to be all about. We're also going to touch on why is a calorie not a calorie? The goal of the Crush War on Sugar and the Science of Sweetness series is to educate you and provide you with the knowledge you need to make great decisions. We're also going to address a couple of your questions later in the show. And if you want to reach out to us with any questions, comments, or smart remarks, do so. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crushperformance is the email. We want to hear from you. We answer every single message we get, whether it's the Olympics, whether it's your program, whether it's your team, whether it's performance related. If we don't have the answers, I could tell you something right now. We know somebody who does have the answer, and we'll get it for you. That's what teamwork's all about. So let's get after it because we have a lot to cover today. We are joined right now by Crush Favorite, Dr. Anne Deweese Allen, the Chief of Biomedical Research at the Glycemic Research Institute. Dr. Allen, welcome back to the Science of Sweetness, episode number three. I'm fired up for this one. I am jacked up, Crusher, because we got some serious... Listen, you and I have been going over, you know, what we want to talk about, and we got so jacked up on what we're going to tell them today, we almost like airlifted off the planet. Yeah. No, it's people been... have been accused us of being drunk. We're not drunk. We're just jacked up on science, right, Crush? <laughs> Dr- drunk on science. We're drunk on science. I'll give you that for sure. No, it's been quite a ride, Doc. And, of course, the Science of Sweetness... Um, This series has been very, very well received. And so for everybody who's listening right now, we've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes on how to organize the messaging because there is literally a million ways to go here. There's so many things to talk about. We are dedicated to hosting one of these episodes per month to bring you guys concise, up-to-date, cutting-edge research when it comes to nutrition, the foods we ate, and how it's affecting your body, your brain, and your health. And Dr. Allen, some of the questions that have come in over the last couple weeks and the last couple months have been tremendous. And for all of our listeners, your questions have really shaped today's talk and i'm really excited about it dr allen it's been it's been actually kind of humbling uh the type of feedback we've been getting so far 
Oh, my God. I'm so – listen, I'm so excited about your audience, your listeners, right? Because these are some really smart people. They've asked us some incredible questions, and I'm loving it. So, you know, to your listeners, keep it coming. You guys are asking some great questions that are – that really took thought. Yeah. You know, it's not bread and butter stuff. They're, they're going deep. They're going deep and asking about evolution and all kind of brain energetics and all kind of juicy stuff. So they're getting it. And I'm loving that just so much. We're loving it. Yeah. Well, I think one of your opening comments from episode number one has really hit home with a lot of people, right? Don't people, and I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but this is fairly close to what you said. Don't people have the right to know how the food they're eating is affecting their metabolism. And then we went on to talk about metabolism and how that in, in, impacts, uh, of course, your health, your body composition, your brain, your thought, your sleep, and everything that you do. It is all tied together. So so I think we've hit home, and, and that is pretty rewarding. Oh, my God. It's so exciting. You know, it's, it's time, really, it's time for the rabbit to come out of the hat. And we're going to discuss that. You know, the rabbit coming out is the science coming out, you know, into the public domain instead of just going through the bigger manufacturing companies or scientists in Harvard. And it's time for the rabbit to come out of the hat and, you know, the, 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 the evidence to come forward on what's wrong with the food chain. Why are we turning ourselves into eating pigs and grunting pigs? Why we can't control it? Why it's not our problem? Why this evolutionary discordance? You know, Neil deGrasse Tyson, one of my absolute favorite astrophysicists, he said, follow the evidence wherever it leads. Right. And that's what we're talking about today. Oh, my God, come on. Follow the evidence wherever it leads. Well, guess what? A lot of the evidence in science just sits there. And what good is science if it just sits there inert and it doesn't come out? So if, if you know, there's not a utilization for the science, it doesn't go anywhere. Again, follow the evidence wherever it leads and go with it. So if you find out that, okay, if you got it, if you found a cure for cancer, do you put it in a drawer and let it sit there or you, do you bring it out? Well, the same thing is true in what we're talking about today. The science of sweetness has to do with evolution and evolutionary discordance, why we cannot control what we eat, why the food industry is giving us, yes, what we want to eat. Does that make them bad? No. But, we hey, we ain't the food police. We're not going to tell you what to eat. I told you. I eat a bowl of popcorn and all the french fries I want. Don't be the food police. Just say, if you eat this, this is what's going to happen. Cause and effect. Now, the food system, the entire food system on this planet is built on evolution, believe it or not. And it's the cravings that we have evolutionary to eat really sweet or crunchy or salty things. And we, what are we going to go do? Go back to Adam and Eve and change it? Oh, yeah. I got an idea. Actually – you know, Crusher, Crusher does not want me to say this. I'm going to say it anyway. Okay, <laughs> ladies, whoever's listening, I'm going to put together a posse of women, all right? And we're all going to go back in time in the DeLorean from I Back thought. to the Future. I'm going to go back to the Garden of Good and Even. And the posse's going to get out of the car, and we're going to walk up to Eve and go, Eve, if you pick up that apple, we're going to kick your ass. <laughs> Well, hey, listen, hey, Back to the Future, as you know, is one of my favorite movies of all time. So actually, I wouldn't mind seeing that happen, to tell you the truth, because wouldn't that, that would change? That would be kind of good. Well, and listen, every woman right now is going, I want to be on that posse. Yeah, no kidding. I don't want to do that. Let's do that. That sounds like a good idea to me. Right, right. 
Well, Doc, hey, Doc, you know what? It's really interesting that you bring up the topic of evolution because, hey, let me just throw this at you because, um, and it's funny you kind of mentioned it there. We're almost in a reverse cycle here. Listen to some of the latest statistics coming out of, coming out of the CDC, the World Health Organization. You know, we keep a really close eye on the obesity rates, the diabetes, the Alzheimer's and degenerative brain diseases, and we are absolutely losing this battle. Um, for, for instance, you know, it, it was said by the World Health Organization since 1975, worldwide obesity has tripled, has tripled, Doc, in, in the United States. The Center for Disease Control um, just announced in 2019, the data is coming out now, 2019, 2020, uh, that uh, over 42% of the United States is classified as obese Oh, and and 9.2% of those are severely obese. It's just a terrible, terrible trend. Here's the interesting thing, though. As all of this is happening, the diabetes, the obesity, the degenerative brain diseases are going off the charts uh, in a time frame that is ultimately, in the big picture, a blink of the eye. The, the diet and weight loss industry made, revenue-wise, $78 billion. And... We also know that um, um, it is costing their healthcare system in the U.S. between 147 and 210 billion dollars a year in obesity and weight-related health issues. And and here's just one last stat I want to throw at you to see so everybody can understand how it's affecting you and your families. All right, overweight people spend on average about fourteen hundred and fifty dollars more per year on healthcare than their healthy weight counterparts. Here's the clincher, Doctor Allen. You and I have talked about this on the show before, on the Science and Sweetness, and before that, obesity is preventable, but we're going backwards, Doc. Yeah, and so you know they're saying the type two diabetes is, but you know what the worst thing is? Here's the worst thing that just pisses me off is that. You know, people who are getting type 2 diabetes and it's being exacerbated and people who are can't diets, get out of here. Would you please take the word diet and throw it in the trash can? That is the stupidest crap I've ever heard. And I'm going to explain it why diets don't work. But the saddest thing is that humans, when we gain weight and we don't have a perfect body or a healthy body, we're being blamed for being fat. So I want to tell you what. All of a sudden, the industry, the entire health industry, is blaming humans and the person on being fat, being diabetic, not you know, not being able to control themselves. That is a load of crap. The fact that we're blaming humans is wrong. We need to blame the food that's going in our body, not the people that it's going into. Yeah, Doc, that is a huge message. That's actually a really important message. And again, I know you and I have talked about this before, but this is a really important point to share with our listeners. You mentioned diets don't work. Well, some of the recent data coming out over the last couple of years is 90 to 95% of all diets fail. All diets fail. There's a few people out there that have the tenacity and wherewithal to, to make it work for extended periods of time. But 95% fail. And and Doc, I love what you said. The, the real strong message for everybody listening is it is not your fault. Would that be fair? You got that right. You got that right. And that really makes me mad that somehow the entire health industry has turned around to, uh, to, to blame people for evolution. 
Oh, my God. That is the stupidest crap I've ever heard. I don't know how they got us to believe it, but guess what? Not only is it not true, but we can prove it's not true, and we can prove we have a solution. The food industry has evolved faster than our bodies have. Oh, boy. And we call that evolutionary discordance. What's the result? Obesity and diabetes. What, do you think you're going to change billions of years of evolution? Seriously? Yeah. Okay, I want you to get your dog and put him in the kitchen and put a nice grilled steak on the floor. I want you to leave the room and go upstairs and say, hey, don't eat that steak while I'm gone. <laughs> hey, I can tell you well, something right now. You got as much You got as much chance of that happening, right? I can tell you. Telling people, oh, this tastes good, this tastes delicious, but don't eat it. Right. So now food, there's food everywhere that's delicious, and they're saying, oh, it's, we made it for you. It's delicious. Here's a McDonald's, but don't eat it. Yeah. That is the stupidest approach I've ever heard. It is not up to people to change this. I'm telling you right now. I've been a scientist for 30 years. I've done board-approved human in vivo clinical trials proving this that evolutionary discordance is a problem. Don't try to change humanity and change the human body. That's going to take another million years of evolution. Change the food system. Right. We're talking with Dr. Andrew Allen, the chief of biomedical research for the Glycemic Research Institute. Dr. Allen, what a powerful, powerful statement. The food industry has evolved faster than our bodies. I mean, just to put things in context, that is really how people have to start thinking, right? When it comes to addressing their their body composition, their weight, their health yeah, in general. We have to stop blaming ourselves. Look, right. I worked on the human genome code, okay? The human genome code at Johns Hopkins and NIH were the top genetic researchers in the world. They pointed out to me, oh, look, Dr. Elm, there's the sickle cell. There's whatever, okay? And when they pointed to other things, I said, what's that? That's the FTO obesity gene. Well, what? It's evolutionary discordance putting a thrifty gene in our bodies to make us fat. And let me tell you why. Let's explain why evolution did. Because evolution didn't do that. Your ass wouldn't be there, and neither would I, and neither would anybody listen. And I'll tell you why. In the brain and in the body, there's an hierarchy for evolution. Evolution being defined as let's stay alive, okay? I'm right. So if we look at Cro-Magnon, Neanderthal, then he lived to be about thirty, and then the and then and then the, the planet said, "Okay, you've already made babies. You hunted and got meat. Get get off the planet. We don't need to get out. You've already made babies. That the species will go on. What do you think viruses do? Okay, you look at the new mutating viruses with COVID. They're guess why they're mutating to stay alive. They go, uh-oh, this human has figured out how to get me here. I'm just going to mutate a little bit. Duh, that's what viruses do, and that's what evolution is about. And so if we go back in the evolution of man and go, wait a minute, we've got an FD obesity gene. We, we have a key code in the human body that turns on the fat cell to promote the evolution and to promote the human species. That The fat cells are automatically shunted into areas around – around the tush and around the upper leg so that women could have babies. Men ain't got that product. They can look like a stick and they can still make babies. So here's the hierarchy of what evolution says. Number one, give me some food and give it to me today. Because if I don't have any protein, there's going to be no testosterone in these dudes and they can't make no babies. So they like meat. Okay. And and women, it's, oh, oh, we need more fat cells. Okay. So evolution says, Give me food or the game's over. You don't feed the brain. You don't feed the body. There's no more people. 
Okay, that's evolution. Number two, it says, okay, okay, we got that down. All right, now you need, now you got the food. Let's make babies. Well, you can't make babies unless women have enough body fat. So evolutionarily, women are have a proclivity and a genetic predisposition to gaining weight much faster than men, so they can have the babies. Women, if they lose enough weight, they can't procreate. Men, it don't matter. Just give them some meat. They make testosterone and growth hormone, and they can make a baby. That's what's really going on here, evolutionary discordance. So to say, you know, oh, I'm just going to decide I'm not going to eat this delicious food that's all over the place in the grocery store and on every block of fast food. But does that mean we blame the food companies? I'm not trashing the food companies. They're just giving us what we want. Right. Right. Can that all be fixed? Yes, it can all be fixed. But it's time for us to stop blaming the human body when we're just doing what we're evolutionarily designed to do. Yeah. What a what an incredible conversation this is. Just think about evolution and how we've changed over time. And the fossil records are incredible and the science is all there for sure. But we have, Doc, we have an incredible ability to adapt to our environment. And unfortunately, our environment is in a state right now that just absolutely lends itself to overweight obesity. There are sugars everywhere, carbohydrates everywhere, processed foods everywhere. So accessible right now. So we, we, okay. Then let me, you know what? I'm with, I'm glad you said that. I want to explain to you why this show is called the science of sweetness instead of let's talk about evolution and why people are to blame. Okay. But it's, here's why the body's food reward system. Okay. Evolutionarily is crucial in regulating eating behavior and controlling the number of calories you can consume. So here's the point. Evolutionary survival mechanisms in the brain, the brain, place the total emphasis on the hierarchy or the value of high-calorie foods, and that makes us crave sugar and things that are sweet. Why do you think we call this show the science of sweetness? Because the body will primarily crave something sweet because it means there's something that has calories that means you can survive another day and make more babies. It's called evolution, people. You can't fight it. But can you can can we are we advanced enough to fix it? Absolutely. But until we take the brain in and, and brain energetics and switch the brain, switch the game, and combine that with the brain-body axis to give the body what it wants without having it stored in the fat cells or elevate blood glucose and insulin leading to diabetes, we're going to stay where we are until we make the decision. We know how to do it. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. I'm all in. Well, actually, what people don't realize is we've been working on it behind the scenes for 30 years. We're finally at a point where it's all coming together. Listen, everybody, we have to cut out for a quick break. When we come back... Let's open the Pandora's box. Doc, we're going to talk about why a calorie is not a calorie to set the stage and push this discussion to a new level. It's all coming up right after this on the Science of Sweetness right here on Crush Performance. You're listening to Crush Performance with Jeff Crushell. Get the Crush podcast newsletter and performance links at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome 
Welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. There you have the sweet melodies of Bardic Form. Justin and Reese, man, these guys can play guitar like nobody's business. You can check them out and their cool sounds at bardicform.com. The guys are performing all over the place right now, and I'm going to strongly suggest if you get a chance to go see these guys play, you will not regret it. They are true, true musicians, and they bring in some incredible guests to play along with them. Such a good time. Check them out again, bardicform.com. All right, back to the Crush War on Sugar series, The Science of Sweetness. We're joined again by Dr. Andouise Allen, Chief of Biomedical Research at the Glycemic Research Institute. Dr. Allen, let's get back into it. We're going to set the stage here and potentially open a Pandora's box as we dive into the topic of why a calorie is not a calorie and how a calorie is not a calorie. Now, for everybody out there, we're going to dedicate an entire episode to this topic because it's just that huge. But for today, as we talk about how to fix the foods we're consuming, it's the perfect time to set the stage for that massive upcoming episode, Dr. Allen. Oh, yeah. I can't, honestly, I can't wait till we do the calories because we're really going to probably upset a lot of people. Um, okay, the first thing is, as I said on, the, on, I think, the first podcast we did, don't you have a right to know the metabolic response? If you think you're going to get that off a food label, well, we got a little surprise for you. Okay, I've been doing FDA, CFR 21, 800 pages of label compliance for the biggest food companies in the world for 30 years. I specialize in FDA claims and, and FDA and FDA uh, labeling understanding and and why they put that, why they make you put what they put on there. Okay, I'm not blaming the FDA. They're doing the best they can. There's nothing on a label that's going to tell you what the metabolic response is. Okay, you think calories are relevant? That's a load of crap, okay? <laughs> and I'm going to explain to you why. A calorie, and yes, do we have the evidence and the science? Oh, yeah, published, okay. No, I'll, I'll lead you to the right place if you want to read it. A calorie, okay, here's the deal. A calorie is not a calorie. All calories are not created equal. There's calories that will promote obesity and diabetes and type 3 diabetes, Alzheimer's, and there are calories that do not. So you look on the label, it's not the FDA's fault, they're doing the best they can. They can't stop and figure out the metabolic response of every single food in, in the grocery store and, and, and in the fast food, in fast foods and, and in many markets. What are they going to do? Get it, start doing clinical trials? Well, guess what? We do. Okay. That's not their job. That's our job to do. Scientists that do clinical trials to go, wait a minute, you put this calorie in the body and it acts one way. It takes one glute pathway. You put a different kind of calorie, and it goes a different way. One isn't going to go in the fat cells, and one is. One isn't going to mess up what your brain thinks is a hierarchy of food, and one isn't. Okay, think about that. If a calorie is in a calorie, then what does that label telling you? It might say 50 calories. 50 calories of what? Right. So you got 50 calories from lettuce or 50 calories from mashed potatoes. A calorie is not a calorie. And here's why. It defies the laws of physics and thermodynamics. I love now, that. Are we going to do a whole show on the physics of thermodynamics and calories? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to slam the ham on that when we get into the science of the thermodynamics of calories. We're going to lay down the law. 
Yeah. No, this is a really important conversation, Doc. And I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit here. Not not in whole, but we've got a couple of questions from our, our audience that we're going to get to at the very end of this episode. Oh, goody. <laughs> but, but, but I just want to, you know, this is really pertinent to one of them. So, so Sarah wrote in uh, talking about some, some of the supplements she's taken. We'll read that question later. But I went and looked at the supplements that she referred to. And it's, a, it's, a, it's almost like around an eight ounce liquid uh, sort of meal replacement uh, drink. And on the label, okay. it has 220 calories. And it just fascinates me when we see that. And it's big and bold. And, you know, the the, the FDA and CFR 21 are trying to really promote, you know, uh, a little responsible, a little more responsible labeling from companies. But it has this giant yeah. 220 uh, calories on it. But when you look at the ingredients, it is very, very apparent what those two, which direction I should say, or so should I say, let me say this, which pathway the, the the majority of those 220 calories are going to take. And let me tell you right now, it is not the pathway we want. I'm telling you. That's, and that, that, listen, the FDA is doing the best they can, but here's what I love about what FDA just did. And I can't tell you how many manufacturers are calling me and going, oh my God, the new January 2021 required Food and Drug Administration labeling guidelines are making me crazy because they're like Chinese stereo instructions. I go, yeah, the, listen, the FDA is trying to make people comply. So they came up with, oh, new label guidelines, which are really cool. I'm loving it. And every manufacturer on the face of earth is going, oh, my God, I don't even know what it means. How can you how can the manufacturers of foods and nutraceuticals who are calling me all day long saying, Okay, Dr. Allen, what does this mean? Are we going to go to prison? We don't. Are we going to get, is our product going to be embargoed? We don't. Okay. And the reason that they're freaking out is not the calories. Oh, no, no, no. It's the new added sugars. Hello. Which is is great. I'm glad they came up with that. But guess what? Go ahead. I've had three scientists call me this week and go, Hey, Doc. Hey, listen. Um, I'm trying to read the Food and Drug Administration new guidelines on added sugars, and I'm going to slit my wrists right now and put them <laughs> in salt water because I'm, I'm just going to have to go to jail because I don't know what in the hell they're talking about. Okay, so think about this. Added sugars. What does that mean? Right. Okay, here's, so here's why they're calling us, okay? And here's why we're sending them over to the BRICS Institute. Here's why at bricks-certified.com. We're sending them over there because that's the only laboratories that's doing bricks work on sweeteners in, in the world right now. That's the only laboratory that has, is doing that. Here's why. The new FDA guidelines for CFR 21, and that's when they'll embargo your product. If you, I've seen them go in with guns and embargo people's product, you know, just to say, okay, we're making a point, usually because it's contaminated, you know, minerals or something or lead poisoning, but it's milder stuff too because the FDA is doing the best they can is added sugars are based on the BRICS B-R-I-X not B-R-I-C-K-S but BRICS which is the science of sweetness the sweetness level the sweetness level of the sweetener coming in your body if it's having an impact uh, uh, some kind of a caloric impact it has to be shown in added sugars well, how the heck are you supposed to figure that out if you haven't done clinical trials and you don't have the data? How are you, how are manufacturers supposed to figure that out? What the BRICS is of, of any kind of sugar or sweetener. It's a nightmare of recrimination for these poor manufacturers who are going, I don't even know what BRICS is. Right. Okay. 
or why it's important. I mean, that's the other thing, right? Some of these manufacturers oh, are going, exactly. right? Because that's why we're calling these the science of sweetness. Yeah. Bricks will tell you the sweetness level of something you're putting in your mouth. But will bricks alone give you the metabolic response? No. That's one of the equations in figuring out the metabolic response. Number one, what's the bricks coming in? So then you have to know the bricks of stevia, monk fruit, glycosides, licorice, uh, artificial sweeteners, real sugars, uh, sucrose, maple, honey, anything. You better know the bricks of every single thing. And do not tell me that artificial sweeteners don't have bricks. Guess what? We were the first scientists, as I said, to bring glycosides into the United States from China in 1983 and did clinical trials to show that monk fruit and stevia do have a metabolic response and they do take a glute pathway, which was never known before. Therefore, does it have a BRICS? Yes, it does. Now, you take the BRICS. That has to be combined with the glycemic impact, which was going to direct if your blood sugar goes up, down, doesn't go anywhere, and does it stimulate insulin spilled out of the brain? If you don't have those calculations, you can't fill in added sugars. And right now, I don't know any laboratory that's capable of doing that, except BRICS is doing the analysis, and they'll tell manufacturers, okay, here's the BRICS that you have to claim. But really, eventually, every manufacturer is going to have to know that, or they're not going to be compliant with FDA new guidelines. Yeah. And again, that's the, evolu- that's the evolution of the food world. It's so great. We're talking with Dr. Andrew Allen, the chief of biomedical research at the Glycemic Research Institute. We are well into episode number three of our series, The Science of Sweetness. We'll be bringing you one episode each month throughout this entire year and probably beyond based on the response we've been getting, Dr. Allen. Well, listen, um, this has been absolutely fascinating. We've gone through evolution to a calorie is not a calorie. And now we're talking about um, the blood brain access, the blood uh, brain, the brain body access and and how the brain and the body work together in terms of signaling. And, and truly, this is what it's all about, because we mentioned this in our past episodes, the signaling that goes to the brain. The brain is the key player in this whole thing. We're just not communicating properly with the brain uh, when it comes to our foodstuffs. Is that fair to say? Does that sort of resonate with you? Boy, have you got it down. And now, you know, it's really, there's no point in us talking about all this if we don't have a solution, right? Right. Okay. Well, we spent 30 years of board-approved human vivo clinical trials, first of all, proving how all sugars and sweeteners, and that's why we have the largest database in the world of that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But here's what we came up with. You, there's got to be a biological energy compass, and that's what it's going to take to figure this out. The biological energy compass is going to say, okay, if you put these sugars and sweeteners in your mouth and then the brain recognizes it, and then it sends it into the fat cells or either puts it in the blood or whatever. It has a variety of mechanisms and places it can put it. But how do we change that biological energy compass and create a GPS for brain, a GPS for the brain and body? And the GPS would be a metabolic Trojan horse of a GPS that tells you don't go this way, go that way. Don't go in the fat cells. Don't exacerbate type 2 diabetes. Don't spill insulin. But it's going to be have the same sweetness level as a bowl of sugar, okay? And we did the clinical trials on ice cream. And we were able to make a natural ice cream where you could eat a whole bowl of ice cream. 
no artificial sweeteners, and an apple was more fattening than a bowl of ice cream. Don't tell me it can't be done. We've done it for the biggest food companies in the world. So what you need is a biological energy compass based on the clinical trials to tell you why is popcorn and why are potato chips going in the fat cells? And how can we reroute them by creating a metabolic GPS for the brain and body? I love it. I love it. It reminds me of like um, uh, those movies where the guys are out there, you know, during during the Second World War and the First World War, cracking the codes, right? Cracking, cracking the enemy codes so they can get one step ahead of them. That's basically what we're talking about here. Cracking the code and building a line of communication so things operate in a way that we can we can better control. If that if that makes sense. Yeah, you gotta con- you look you gotta control the fuel. That's right. going in there. Yeah. You've got to control the message that the fuel is giving to the brain body. You have to control fuel trafficking in neural coding. The whole thing is about recoding the food. Does that mean we're going to put, you know, weird artificial chips, you know, edible computer chips in people? No. It, you can do it by just changing the glute pathway directional system by creating sweeteners and sugars that are trafficking the fuel optimization and deciding where does it go and what does it do? Can you tell a sugar where to go? You bet your ass you can tell a sugar where to go. Right. You can tell it where to go by deciding, you know, what human consumables um, they're going to be eating and uh, fuel optimization uh, by just switching around things and switching the glute pathway. Right. You know, there, there's, a, there's a saying, if you argue against reality, you will always lose. Okay, <laughs> and we're arguing against reality this is ridiculous um if you look at the neuroscience of food addiction and the glycemic index there's massive massive data published at nih on the neuroscience of food addiction and the glycemic index so unless you combine the neural pathway the glycemic and blood sugar and insulin response with the bricks you don't have an answer you don't have an answer on how to fix the food yeah. You know, it's fascinating. So, do it, artificial sweeteners cause the brain to mimic that happy feeling and that that humans want, dopamine and serotonin? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is the craziest thing you'll ever hear. Artificial sweeteners are nearly on on functional MRIs, people published in Scientific and American. Okay, we know the resources. We'll give you the resources. Now. Artificial sweeteners, according to Scientific American and and functional MRIs, not just my big fat mouth, were (laughs) nearly identical in the orbital frontal cortex and the dopamine midbrain and the amygdala showing that diet soda renders particular components of the brain's reward system incapable – I want you to listen to this word – incapable of distinguishing between a real sugar and an artificial sweetener. So the brain gets tricked, as I said, ghost fuel, rogue fuel, and real fuel. There yeah. you go. Scientific American published functional MRIs. Follow. So the glycemic index and the bricks, it's about tricking the taste buds, but not the brain. You can trick the taste buds, and the taste buds give a message to the brain, and the brain goes, I don't know what this is, but you're telling me that this artificial sweetener or monk fruit or stevia is fuel? It is not fuel. You're lying to me. So the brain, the most brilliant organ, knows the difference, but the, even the taste buds can't detect the difference. If the taste buds can't detect the difference and they have to wet till it gets in the brain and the brain goes, oh, you tricked me again. It's ghost fuel or rogue fuel. 
I'm going to put you in the fat cells. If you don't change that, we're going to continue to get fatter and fatter. How is that, how is that the fault of the human being that's eating it and drinking it? How is that their fault? It's not. No, it's not the consumer's fault. And this is something we all have to understand if we're going to move forward in the right direction. All right. We have to cut out for a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to dive into the crush mailbag and answer a couple questions that came in from you guys. And it is right in the science of sweetness wheelhouse. It's some really good stuff. And it's coming up right after this on Crush Performance. This week's episode of Crush Performance is brought to you by the BRICS Glycemic Impact Research and Science Institute. Everything we eat and drink impacts our bodies in some way, no matter if it's low fat or high fat, high protein or no protein, a carbohydrate, a sugar, an artificial sweetener, added sugar or no sugar. No matter what we consume, there's a metabolic response that impacts our bodies in some way. Don't you think it's time we better understood what that impact might be? That's the mission and the passion of the BRICS Glycemic Impact Research and Science Institute. They're a research and certification company dedicated to helping us all better understand how the foods and beverages we consume affect us all. And not only are they dedicated to educating us on the foods we eat, they're on a mission to help food companies create and or reformulate any edible product by providing independent investigations and verification in order to identify blood sugar and metabolic impact of a nutraceutical pharmaceutical, food or beverage, sugar sweetener, or bio-sweetener for claims and FDA label substantiation. It's very important work. For more information, go to bricks-certified.com. That's bricks, B-R-I-X-certified.com. And if you're a company looking to up your game and produce and supply better products, click on the client application form and let's all work together to create better foods, supplements, pharmaceuticals, sugars, and sweeteners for everybody. Let's get back to it right now. If you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, write Crusher at CrushPerformance.com and follow him on Twitter at Jeff Crush. Now, back to the Crusher. Welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. Episode number three of our Science of Sweetness series with Dr. Anne Deweese Allen, Chief of Biomedical Research at the Glycemic Research Institute. We're into an incredible conversation today. If you have any questions, comments, smart remarks, or if you have a question for myself or the Dr. Allen, get to us. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crushperformance is the email. We answer every message we get. Well, let's get back to it. Dr. Allen, thanks for sticking around over the break. We were just talking about our metabolism and how foods are impacting our bodies. But we got into the very fascinating world of artificial sweeteners. And, you know, I do remember when the research came out looking at the impact of diet sodas and its relationship to um, obesity. And a lot of the research was pointing to the fact that the diet sodas were actually causing or related to more obesity than the regular sweetened sodas. And I thought that was fascinating at the time. And we'd been dabbling in that research already. So we kind of had an inkling of what was going to happen. Now, to be clear, lifestyle and lifestyle choices are also a big contributor here. But it goes back to what we've been discussing here today. When we don't really understand how the foods we eat are going to affect our bodies or our metabolism, 
How can we make an informed choice, especially when we're up against all the advertising and propaganda of the food companies? You absolutely yeah, can't. Yeah, let's take that back a step. We're not controlling what we eat. Right. Our brain and evolution is controlling what we eat. Right. The brain says, especially in men, I want a lot of protein. I want a big fat cheeseburger, you know. But for women, they're more prone to say, I'd rather have the french fries and the chocolate shake, okay? We're not controlling what we eat. Do not tell me that diets can be utilized when we can't control what we eat. It's evolutionary. Here's the answer. You make it ice cream or you make candy or you make whatever the food, but you control the ultimate metabolic response. You don't – it's not artificial. It's 100% natural and organic to change it and grass-approved. One of the hardest things you can get is grass approval, generally regarded as safe by the Food and Drug Administration. You can create a metabolic guidance system, the ultimate software program for the human body, metabolic programming, which retrains the taste buds and tells you not to store in the fat cells by stimul not stimulating lipoprotein, lipase, etc. Yeah. That's the reality. The ultimate software program for the human body can be created from natural organic ingredients that are really inexpensive if people want to do that, if manufacturers want to do that. It's not people's fault that they're eating the food. They're being driven to eat the foods. Yeah, you tell a woman on PMS she can't have that bag of potato chips, she'll take your head off. <laughs> Without question. <laughs> And, yeah. and hey, trust me, I it. think I've been, I think I've been there. Trust me, I I live in that kind of a house right yeah, now. Yeah, you so. got four women in yeah. the house. I'm surprised <laughs> yeah. they haven't killed you yet. Yeah, I'm still walking, everybody. I'm well, still walking. I, I, listen, I've seen you on days uh, when you go. I got to get out of the house, and yeah. you'll take your dogs outside, and you'll sit outside in the pre sixty below zero, and I'll go. Aren't you cold? And you go. No, I built a fire out here. I'm not going back in there. <laughs> I'm armed. Hey, I'm constantly armed with with chocolate and a, a bag of popcorn seeds. That's what that's what's keeping me going Just here. Throw it. Throw it at them. Yeah. Throw it at them like they're wild animals, yeah. okay? So yeah. if, you're, if we're talking about the solution, okay, yeah. the solution is really a metabolic guidance system. Right. And that guidance system is simple. It's functioning to provide the brain and the body with a software, and I'm not talking about artificial, that directs incoming fuel, okay, anything that comes into the mouth. Right. And that, that kind of a coding provides the brain-body nutritional system. It's sort of a NORAD guiding system, okay? I love that, And the NORAD yeah. guidance system, um, it, it, you know, it's like, oh, God, I'll tell you the two movies, when, what we were just talking about. I love the movie Inner Space, okay? Yes, absolutely. We were trying to think of that comedian's name. Rick who was Moranis. on Saturday Night Live. He used to go, I used to say, I must say, I must say. Yeah. <laughs> well, that movie, Inner Space, where um, I can't, what's the guy's name that got in the little... Rick Moranis is the scientist that creates the uh, the uh, okay. ray that gun a, that shrinks a, everybody. God, that movie was hysterical. Yeah, it's Inner great. space, okay? Yeah. So he, they, he gets in a, a, a sort of a spaceship, and then they, they micro-size it. They nano-size it and pico-size him, and then they inject him into this poor, unsuspecting person's body. And now he's got this little person, you know, driving a spaceship through his body. Um, and he can hear him talking to him, so he thinks he's crazy. It's satirical. But really, that's what we're talking about. It's a NORAD guidance system that will redirect ghost fuel, which is basically like neutrinos, rogue fuel, and, reg and, and, and key-coded fuel. You have to code the fuel. Does that mean it's going to be some kind of crazy, wacky, artificial stuff? No, I've told you a hundred times. It's organic, natural, inexpensive, and anybody 
can redirect the, 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 the NORAD guidance system by using natural organic ingredients. You just have to change the glute pathway, the bricks of it. Um, if it's, a, if it's a, say, a monk fruit or stevia, you have to give it a guidance pattern. It doesn't have one. It's going to take the same pattern as an artificial sweetener. Not a good idea. Um, so it's it's not it's not impossible to fix. We've been fixing it for years and years and years. We just have to get enough people to get on board. So listen, I'm not interested. No question. You know I'm gonna tell it like it is, and you'll probably edit some of this stuff out because you go, "Oh, doc, you're pissing some people off." Okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, my job is to tell the truth and suffer the consequences. Whatever. Okay, is that we are not looking for manufacturers and. Uh, Food production companies who who don't give it, they don't care. They don't want to fix it. Fine. I don't care. Keep doing what you're doing. I don't care. I'm looking for manufacturers and food producers who want to change the food very easily, very simply, very inexpensively. And we're talking like a two cents difference. Now, Crusher, I know you've got some data on the two cents difference. Go, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's true, Doc. This has been, without question, the most fascinating um, uh, research I have ever been involved in in my in, in in all my time in high performance sport and looking at biochemistry and neuroscience. This right here, the work that we've done here, has been without question the most fascinating, but also the most rewarding because I do really believe it's something that's going to impact mankind wi without question. And here's the issue, though, you know, all, a well, lot if of it didn't work, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be doing the clinical trials for the biggest food companies in the world. Tr true. True, or or we'd still they be... want to know what the coding pathway is, and we tell them. Right, we've right. done it for thirty years. Follow... Biggest food companies in the world come to us when they want to know the metabolic pathway. Yeah, follow the evidence. Unfortunately, though, you know that's some right. The... Follow the evidence. Now yeah. it's up to you know the food companies if they want to change it or not. Yeah, and unfortunately, as I was saying, some of them don't want to take that leap, whether they're too invested or they don't understand it yet. Um, so there's, there's certainly work to do out there, but you know, when, when the population demands it, it will happen. And right now we're at a place where we need it, you know, go, Hey, this, I, well, I just, I'll tell I, you, I'll tell you one thing. And I usually don't come out and talk about, you know, the actual name of companies, because they're, like I said, they're the biggest in the world, including the Department of Agriculture, the government, yep. and the government approved our clinical trials. So you want to argue with me? Argue with the government. They approved my clinical trials. So go ahead. Go yeah. ahead do that. But, okay, I'm going to mention a, co a, co a company, and they're the biggest in the world, and Cargill and Coke got together. We do car we do research for Cargill. Any uh, well, I'm not going to say. All right, anyway, but we have contracts. But the point is, they decided to try to, to make it better, okay, to make it a little, the metabolic pathway a little different. But the point is, they were smart enough to come out with Truvia, Truvia in the grocery store, and then to put that uh, type of a glycosidic compound, which is individual glycosides, in their Coke. And that was very smart. Yeah. Now, are all companies willing to do that? No, but at least I give Coke the, the, the you know kudos for saying let's do something different. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's make it better, and they did. Right. I think people are starting to realize that, um, and companies are starting to realize. You know, when we go back and, for instance, talk about the failure rate of diets. Diets aren't sustainable. Like it's like going back to the statement you made about you know telling your dog not to eat that steak that you left on the floor. Um, that's not going to yeah, happen. Good luck. 
Yeah. Or it, telling your wife in PMS not to eat the bag of chips or throw a fork at your head. Right. So if you follow the evidence and look how things are working. By the way, I think that should be legal. I think that should be legal. <laughs> I don't know about just that. Mildly, just to mildly wound our husbands, not, you know, something serious. Yeah, right. Yeah. Not that anything that would send them to the emergency room, just something, you know. Just warning shots maybe across the bow. Maybe kick them in the leg or something. You know, just something yeah. simple. Right. Right. But I like the idea. And, and one of the things that, that's really, um, really appealed to me throughout this whole adventure has been the whole concept of, you know, not trying to change the habits of people because we're never we're we're never gonna beat evolution, but fix the food. It just makes so much sense. Fix change, the well, food. we can't change our evolution. We can't change, you know, as I've told you, I've done lectures before, right? I mean, obviously for years and years and years and five years in Asia and whatever United Nations and all that stuff. Okay. So I've done that most of my life. And with Arnold Schwarzenegger, as we all know, okay? But the point yeah. is, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, I'll have to say, okay, if you really think you can change evolution right now, then gentlemen, I know I've posted this before, don't think about sex, don't have sex for like a month because you think you can control it. Let me know how that works for you, you know? Get back to me. <laughs> don't think about sex or have sex with your with your woman. Just don't do it. Yeah. That's okay. That's exactly equal in the brain. And guys look at me like, what? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you don't like that, do you? Well, I can, okay. I can pretty much. Not only don't do it, don't think about it. Okay. So the whole point is making the human machine run more efficiently. That has to be the coding program goal of a food or beverage. Now, you you know that's already been done in the baseball sports drink and whatever, um, and that's what we have to do. So saying that we can just ignore the food system and we're not going to eat this or eat that, that is the stupidest approach I've ever heard. You have to recode the food. And that doesn't mean to recode it with, you know, some wacky ingredients. We're talking about natural organic ingredients that can easily be added. And, of course, what were you saying to me earlier about it would only cost, you know, we were talking about it only costs two cents to really change it. Yeah. But there were companies that that we did research when they go, no, I'm not spending two cents to change it. Right. Okay. We've seen it. Unfortunately, we've seen it for whatever reason. And we, we can't, well, we can only anticipate or, or guess at what their reasoning is, but you know, a two cents seems a small price to pay, but there's companies out there that did, that aren't willing to do that. And and it's unfortunate for sure, doc, for sure. So, well, you know, what's going to happen. Guess what's coming. Guess what's coming. I mean, you know, even Harvard has a huge department on glycemic index and yes. how that controls everything. Yep. Okay. Um, guess what's coming is when you can change easily, such as in a baseball drink, a football drink, or uh, whatever it is. We we took chocolate candy and changed it where it wouldn't go in the fat cells of, of diabetic children and it wouldn't elevate their blood sugar. Chocolate candy was 100% natural. And these are kids. You can't put artificial stuff in kids. That what's happening now is more and more manufacturers are saying, okay, you know what? I know that this data has been out for quite a while, but now we're ready to change. We're ready to fix it because we don't have a choice. When people start demanding to know the metabolic response and they demand that the foods are, are, are designed so they won't preferentially go into the fat cells and make more fat cells and cause and elevate your your chance of having advanced type 2 diabetes, then, you know, when, when people go, I'm not going to tolerate that anymore. And so the food industry is going, oh, okay, we better start 
changing what we're doing. Okay, so some of the sugars are cheap, but you're only we're changing it might cost two cents. Yeah, no. So there's a lot of there's a lot of layers to this thing, but we we're again getting back to our saying of the day: follow the evidence. We've followed the evidence, and it's led us here. So, so fascinating conversation. Hey, before we have to go, Dr. Allen, I, I do want to get to a couple of questions from our, from our listeners and they really tie in, I think, oh, good. to the topic goody, today. Goody. So, so getting back to Sarah, I mentioned this uh, before she had that protein drink that had 220 calories, but her question yeah. is, her question was like this. Well, it was a, a nice little note. She sent. she's been listening to the series, totally enjoying it. But, but it gets to the thing it says, um, we're told that dark chocolate is better for you. Higher fiber is good for you. Is there a way to still enjoy the foods that we like? You know, there's sugar, sodium, um, there's processed foods everywhere. Moderation is the key, but what else can we do? And, and not just sort of, okay. I'm, at, I'm glad you asked that because we did the clinical research. Uh, I won't say any names for some of the biggest chocolate companies on the face of the earth, okay? And it, it's really interesting because we want, they want us to track the metabolic action of every ingredient. Now, here's what's really interesting. Dark chocolate, let's get this straight, is better for you only on one level, aside from taste, okay? It's the antioxidants. That has nothing to do with fuel or fuel delivery or calories. There's nothing wrong with chocolate at all. Chocolate is one of the greatest things you can put in your mouth. <laughs> chocolate itself is wonderful, okay? It, it's great. If you want to have dark chocolate, it has a little bit more antioxidants, but chocolate of any type is great. It's what's with the chocolate. Um, it, it's, it's a matter, but chocolate is great just like coffee is great, but if it's black coffee, that's a bad thing. If you put, you know, some of these... Um, uh, sweeteners, or if you put some of these creamers in there, which are heinous, that changes the metabolic pathway. But coffee on itself, and I have a patent on coffee, which was featured on the front page of the Wall Street Journal anyway, to fix the coffee. Black coffee can stimulate insulin, not a good thing, uh, but that can be fixed easily because co caffeine and coffee, and I have patents on caffeine, is we came up with a way to what's called buffer the caffeine. In other words, make it behave. Caffeine, I like it caffeine, but only at certain doses. And it also has to have carriers attached to it so it doesn't go in the wrong place and do the wrong thing. So caffeine and coffee are great if you fix it. And we have, you know, we have sold millions and millions and millions of dollars of our technology in fixing coffee, fixing chocolate, and uh, fixing caffeine, as you well know, Crusher. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it's been fascinating. We've we were, we're diving into the sports world for all the athletes out there, and just watching these Olympians. We'll talk about that in our next episode as the Olympics get a, you know sort of are, are behind us. But incredible things okay, happening. Okay, can I add one? Can I add one thing to her question? Well, she's got another part to the question yet, so absolutely. I know, but wait, I want to go back to that. First of all, if we look at the calories, okay, that's really not going to tell you a lot. Okay, right. you can go in the grocery store and pick up a cucumber and go. That ain't got a lot of calories. And then you pick up a loaf of bread and go, well, that's got some calories, okay? That, is that the point? No. Where are they going and how are they acting? What's the metabolic response? Here's where you need to look right now. Look at the added sugars. Look at the added sugars, okay? The added sugars are going to say what they added in there that has a metabolic response. 
Then go down to the bottom of the ingredients and see what the sugars are. Look at what they are. What's in there? Right. Yeah, so smart. And that's learning to read a label. Such an important skill in today's landscape, for sure. And that's sort of the second part. Yeah, but here's what I think. I don't think people should have to read the label. I think that we should have the metabolic response on the bottle. Why should they have to figure it out? Yeah, no, no, you're right. That would be, that is the way to go. That's the way it's going to go. Yeah, well, that's what's coming. That's what's coming. It sure is. And that's the second part of Sarah's question here. She says, I try to eat well and have been using supplements. Um, and, and after listening to the uh, Science of Sweetness series, she's been checking the amount of sugars in her meal replacement drink, and she was blown away. And that was the drink I told you earlier, Dr. Allen, that in eight ounces of liquid drink, uh, there was uh, 220 calories and 18 grams of sugar, four and a half teaspoons okay, of sugar. Let, all right, let me, let me explain to you what, 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 what the issue is. Right, first, first of all, the calorie is a calorie. What kind? Every sugar, sweetener, glycoside, anything sweet has a different caloric value, a different brick value, and a different pathway in the body. So what we're looking at is what I'd like to see, and in the the protein drinks that we've done clinical trials on, you know, Crusher, you've got that clinical trial. You have it in your possession. I think we should publish it on one of your websites, the clinical trial on uh, protein shakes and and really how to make a protein shake that's that's metabolically correct. First of all, let's let's take the sugar, the added sugars, let's take them down to about five grams. You know, it's somewhere in that range, but it's going to have the same sweetness level that it has now by putting glycosides in there with a functional um, glute pathway system, okay? They're telling it where to go, the metabolic GPS system, the human intel inside, is we can fix all that. We can make it as sweet as you want and and still have the added sugars, you know, four, five, seven grams of, 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 of the type of sugars that aren't going to stimulate lipoprotein lipase or elevate your blood sugar or diabetes. That's where the key is. Look at the added sugars, and then you have to know the metabolic response of that sugar. Well, who knows that when you're reading a label? I don't know what the metabolic response is. Okay? So that's why we have to go back to look at the added sugars. Absolutely. Not the calories. Look at the added sugars. And then look at the type of added sugars. That's a real important point right. you made, too. That's a really right, important right. point. Now, now, listen, honey, honey, people ask me all the time, is honey great? It's natural. Okay, that ain't got nothing to do with nothing. Uh, bees, uh, they're prevalent as honey because it's a higher hierarchy in their little body. Bees have to get the highest value of calories, right, from a sweetener because they don't weigh very much like we do. They can't fly around with 10 pounds of sugar in them. They'll fall on the ground. So, I mean, just look at bees, which are so important to our evolution on this planet and to, you know, spreading pollen. We know now bees are, like, so crucial to the environment. But the point is they go for the high-fuel hierarchy. They go for honey. Why do they go for honey? Why aren't they going for something else? Because that's the highest hierarchy of, of what they pull out of the plant. What they're pulling out of the plant is the sweetness, okay? The glycosidic sweetness of the plant, which they turn into honey. So the point is that they're looking for a hierarchy of fuel, and so are we. So if we're looking for a hierarchy of fuel, we have to say, okay, that's great. Here's the calories, but look at the added sugars and go, what kind of a, of a fuel is it? So honey, though, even though it's wonderful, okay, honey's great. 
It's just like why we tell parents, don't give your kids bananas um, because it's going to create, you know, more progenitor fat cells. Just switch over to uh, peaches, pears, grapes, anything with the word berry in it, just at that time when at the time when children are creating progenitor fat cells. Um, so, you know, you want, you, all you want to do is say, okay, look, let's look at the type of fuel that is. So honey's great, but in, in severe moderation. Because it does, it does take an interesting fuel pathway. It's not bad. It doesn't mean that anything is bad. It means like, okay, if we're going to eat honey, now, can we take honey, for example, and, and to use honey to fix her milkshake? No, because we'd have to use a huge amount of grams in that, okay? There'd have to be a huge amount of honey. And also, by that time, it's going to create a high glycemic response and take the wrong glute pathway. So, no, we can't use honey for something like that. Uh, it's great in, in, in severe moderation. Um, but can you, can, you make a, can you make a fuel, a coated fuel that's all natural and organic, that, you know, has different glycosides and um, different fruit sugars and things like that, and get it down to four or five grams of added sugars, and yet it's still as sweet as you want it to be. Yes, that's that can be done. It is being done. And that's very, very exciting. Hey, Dr. Allen, one last question before we go here. Um, this one came, came in from Jake. He says, uh, Dr. Allen, hey, Crusher, loving the series, the Science of Sweetness series. He says, I've been dieting. It's terrible. I feel like I'm starving. I'm grumpy. How do we know what foods are good and which ones are not and maintain a healthy weight. And again, the doc, this goes back to the conversation we had all day. So I, I asked that question more as a statement to sort of sum up today's conversation because I think we've answered Jake's question here today. But but isn't it really interesting uh, that people are now asking these incredible questions? I mean, maybe that's the bigger oh, point so, here. Listen, tell tell that tell Jake is is that was it Jake? Jake, yeah. Okay, tell Jake that I love that he asked that question. Yeah. Um. And, you know, you're not going to like the answer. There's no way to tell right. unless, you know, you, you have a Ph.D. In, in biochemistry and you could analyze the way the f different fuels act. It's, it's, it's especially in the fuels that, you know, the food that's already in the grocery store. OK, now, since our database is the largest in the world of foods, sweeteners, sugars and everything on the planet to look at the metabolic response, we have the largest database in the world. Okay, we know the metabolic response of 400 sweeteners, yeah. largest database in the world. We know what it's going to do, where it's going to go, how it's going to act. Now, there's two different categories. You go in the grocery store and there's produce and meat and there's vegetables and things like that. We know how that's going to act. I can tell you how a steak will act or, or a baked potato or, you know, or, or a cucumber or anything that's, in the, that's produced by nature. That's grown. I can tell you verbatim what to eat and what not to eat because we do it with athletes. We can say, okay, this is exactly what we want you to eat. We have athletes eating 10,000 calories a day and holding 4% body fat. Yeah. Don't tell me that calories are important. Really? They eat 10,000 calories a day and they're holding 4 to 6% body fat. Don't tell me that crap yeah. because we've done it with athletes for 30 years. The point is – there is a known metabolic response in the food that's on the that's in the grocery store, whether it's it's produce or meat or poultry or whatever. If it came from nature, I can tell you exactly what's going to happen and what you should eat with which. But we're talking about 
produced foods, whether it's meal replacements or, I mean, everybody is going to ingest something that didn't come out of the produce or meat section or cheese. By the way, cheese is fabulous. Please don't give up cheese. It's fabulous. So there's two different categories. There's things that we can tell you what the metabolic response is because they come from nature. But when they're manufactured and they're meal replacements or they're Twinkies or they're something that's, you know, whatever it is, that's a whole different ballgame. That's going to take a clinical trial or a metabolic analysis where if you look at a steak, I can tell you what a steak is going to do. And by the way, as I've said before, don't eat protein without carbohydrates. Now, uh, for example, if you're going to eat the steak, eat it with a sweet potato or baked sweet potato, not the potato if you want to avoid the, the blood glucose and insulin spill, okay, um, and then have some kind of a vegetable with it. And, um, and, and like I said, there's nothing wrong with cheese. Cheese is very good. That Look at the French. The French have some of the lowest incidence of cardiovascular disease and high blood pressure, and they eat more cheese than anybody on the planet. So people stop telling me there's a – and the whole gluten thing, oh, don't get me started on that. And the other thing is acid alkaline. Throw that crap out the window, and we're going to do a whole show on probably the rapid spread of high-tech ignorance of what's crap. So, But when you look at how much we ingest, whether you you know are, are drinking a prepared meal replacement or a meal shake, every, everybody's going to eat something that isn't you know a baked potato or a steak or a chicken. They're going to eat stuff that's manufactured. When they manufacture it, what did they put in it? Where's it going to go? How does it act? Two different games. Right. Two different games with many, many, many layers. And we're going to try to attack them all. Listen, Dr. Allen, we are uh, incredibly out of time here. I, I Listen, I have to thank you again for just sharing the knowledge here. Um, you know, cracking the seal on the database is really a major, a major step here. Um, but, you know, the whole concept of evolution, uh, fixing the food. And I think the big strong message today is... Um, you cannot blame yourselves. We are not to blame for what's going on here. We have just simply got to follow the evidence to find the right solutions. And we're well, well on our way. Dr. Allen, uh, any closing comments here on episode number three? Yeah, I'm sure that, you know, we're going to get feedback from, you know, some uh, manufacturers who don't like what I'm saying. And here's what I got to say to you. You don't have to like my science, but that doesn't make it wrong just because you don't like it. I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. Strong words. Yeah, I know. You know, our audience loves you, Doc, and you call a spade a spade. And again, um, you know, we we've, we say it quite quite often. You know, science is not speculation, right? Science is is based on facts and evidence. And when it all comes together, that's when you start creating answers. So that's where we're at right now. You know, I love where we're at right now. I love it. I absolutely love it because as the truth comes out in science and the science is validated, then the system has to change. It's got to change. Stop blaming it on people. Great stuff, Dr. Allen. Really appreciate it today. I cannot wait. Uh, for episode number four, because it is going to be an absolute doozy, everybody. Again, if you want to check out more information, you can go to bricks-certified.com. There's more inf information there. You can also write to us at the show here. All right, Dr. Allen, fantastic, fantastic conversation today. Much appreciated. Can't wait till the next one. I can't wait to hear what your listeners' questions. Please send us your questions. I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know what you, you know, ask me some questions. Crusher and I love questions. We're, we're there for you. 
we want to, you know, we want to make this very fluid to you and very understandable so that you're armed with the information you need to know to control your own body. Doc, that's fantastic. You know, they say knowledge is power, but action based on knowledge is all powerful. And there was a ton of knowledge shared today. Thanks so much for all this, Doc. Okay, Crush. Thank you. Okay, there you go, everybody. I am going to give this episode of the Crush War on Sugar Science of Sweetness series an epic rating. Absolutely fantastic stuff. Okay, we have got to go. So thanks for tuning in today. Thanks to Dr. Allen. Get out there, have some fun, stay safe, but most of all, get better. Talk to you next week right here on Crush Performance. Goodbye now. Don't forget to ride. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>